This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Welcome to this week's edition of the Best Friends Podcast. My name is John Dunn. It is November the 4th. Every industry has its jargon, that language, you know, the terms that make sense if you're knowledgeable about the industry. For those of us who are eating and breathing this stuff every day, we know, for example, that TNVR has nothing to do with virtual reality in Tennessee. TNVR, get it? It's trap, neuter, vaccinate, return, just in case you don't know. Our success is dependent on the public. So figuring out the best ways to communicate with them, tell them what the issues are, and how they can help is crucial. And it's critical for cats, because the data nationally tells us that two-thirds of the healthy or treatable pets dying in shelters are cats. So a very skilled team here at Best Friends, led by Amy Davila Sanchez, set out to understand what's working and what's not when it comes to how we talk about cats with the public. That interview in 25 seconds. Quickly, it is a final reminder to get your speaking proposals in if you want to speak at the Best Friends National Conference next year in July in Raleigh, North Carolina. The deadline to get your proposal in is November the 19th. We've got information up on the Best Friends podcast website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. Click the link for episode 86, bestfriends.org slash podcast. And now let's talk about cats or talk about how we talk about cats with Best Friends Marketing Manager, Amy Davila Sanchez. So Amy, incredibly interesting stuff out of this. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. The terms colony, for example, the word feral, you know, how people reacted to, to those terms and more. I know you also had some great feedback from participants who were uh, Spanish speakers. But before we talk about that, can you tell me, you know, why? Why did we decide to do this work now? Yeah, so I think we have been, as an organization, as a movement, we have been talking about community cats, TNVR, community cat programming for a really long time. However, we're not necessarily, and we've seen progress in cat life-saving but cats need us to speed up that process, right? They need us to speed up that cat life-saving. We needed to understand the type of language, the type of messaging point that would be most effective and compelling everyday people. So not necessarily people that are in animal welfare day in and day out, not necessarily the folks that volunteer with us or follow us on, on Facebook and get our e-newsletters. It's more, you know, your everyday folks that are pet lovers. They might, you know, own cats. They might not, but they're not as into the weeds of our movement. Um, so we really wanted to test where they were at with regards to awareness of community cats, community cat programming, understand their concerns, their perceptions, their reactions to topics pertaining to community cats and to the the, the saving of cats and, and managing of cats in their communities, and then really start having the conversation of, well, you know, kind of like exposing them to facts, exposing them to data points to understand their reaction to those and when which 
of the data points, which of the messaging points, which of the specific language and lexicon worked best at creating the level of awareness, elevating the sense of urgency for them to really say, I want to do something about these cats. They need help. So what about the structure? Who took part? What were they asked? How were they asked? Yeah, so we basically, um, we so we hired a third-party agency, and they helped us put together a pretty robust questionnaire that was fielded in two ways. There was a qualitative version or a focus group version of the study through storyline strategies. Um, and with a team from Best Friends, we participated in four two-hour-long focus group sessions with community members in California and Texas and really just had an open and really candid conversation about their feelings towards community cats, their exposure to them, what they thought of them, their reaction to them, if they you know, would call a shelter if they see them. Um, and then we also did some deep diving into, into language. That's where we, we tested free roaming and heard things like, is that something I buy at Whole Foods? <laughs> you know, we, we met people where they were at and they gave us a really good dose of, of reality. Because sometimes we're in animal welfare day in and day out and we have these conversations where we, and we're exposed to this language and we think everybody else is in the same page that we are at. And that's not the, the reality. You know, the average community member speaks about community cats in a much simpler, basic level. And they are kind of put off by jargon and by a lot of acronyms and, you know, a lot of, of the things that we've been <laughs> constantly pushing out as messaging to them. And so that was, sorry, so focus, focus group was step one. Um, and then what we did with the learnings from the focus groups, we created a questionnaire, a quantitative questionnaire that included, you know, some of those phrases that came up in the focus group, including some language that we wanted to to test. And then we fielded that quantitative study to about 1,500 California and Texas residents. The really cool thing about the study, which I'm extremely proud of, is that we fielded a version in Spanish as well. We translated all of the language points into Spanish and tested those with community members that self-identified as being Hispanic or Latino and having a higher comfort level in responding uh, a Spanish questionnaire. We got close to 900 surveys in Spanish, which is really, really good. You know, the responses from the Spanish-speaking participants, I think it's just so interesting to me. You know, there, there, there are so many assumptions, I think, uh, that, that have been made, you know, whether it's race or socioeconomics, regional differences. You know, there are these things that we've said, we say forever, you know, all Latino men, machismo, don't want to get their dogs neutered, like that kind of stuff. So I think the more that we can engage with different groups of folks and really understand legitimately from them how they feel about certain things, uh, I think is just so valuable. So for that community, Latinx, Latina community, what did we learn? So I, the first thing I would say is that the insights that we got from the Hispanic and Latino community members were very similar 
to the results that we got from um, the general population. So there weren't any really, really big deviations there. I think the areas where we did see some nuances um, with the Latino population, um, one of those areas was heightened stress level over the spread of diseases in cats. Um, Latinos did display a little bit more elevated levels of concern over diseases um, and nuisance of cats in the community. There was more concern over that. So one of the questions we asked in the study was like, do you know if the cats in your community are owned, if they're unowned, if they're, you know, a combination of, of both, if they have caretakers? And it was interesting because the Latino respondents had a higher level of certainty of whether the cats in their community were. So one of the options was cats in my community are owned, cats in my community are unowned, cats in my community are a combination of both, and then I don't know. <laughs> so Latinos <laughs> responded kind of more into the buckets of their own, their unowned or combo, and less were less likely to respond that they didn't know, which is it's is very validating to me because as as part of that community, I kind of know all my neighbors and I also know all the cats in my neighborhood. So we're, we're kind of more in the know of the things that happen in our community. So I just thought that was like a curious cultural point. I know we're talking about not making assumptions, uh, so I probably shouldn't, but um, the concern over diseases you know, it's interesting, and I, and I wonder if that doesn't speak more to the fact that we've, you know, largely ignored huge segments of people in our own communities when it comes to pound ownership and education. Yeah, I think we also learned that they, as with the general population, they expressed favorability, equal favorability towards the, the term community cats, gatos comunitarios, and were less likely to to want to use or prefer language in the line of like feral or wild or stray. Sometimes in Spanish we say gato salvaje or gato silvestre um, or gato callejero. Again, language that had that negative intonation to it, they would not select and then would prefer Gatos comunitarios, which is community cats, gatos de la vecindad, which is neighborhood cats. Oh, the other point that we did see a little bit of, of a nuance with Latinx community members and, and language and concepts, ear tipping was one that really brought up a lot of tension. You know, the respondents to our survey and the participants in the focus group that were Latino, you know, it was almost like you took the, the air out of their their body when you said that the cap had been ear tipped. And, and so we had to do in conversations with them, we had to work a little bit harder at convincing them, hey, it doesn't hurt. It's something that's done by a veterinarian it's under anesthesia and in you know in the overall scheme of things it actually will help the cat not be you know re-trapped and and kind of the cat won't have to go over that stress again and so then the stress levels and the energy levels calm down the biggest finding of this study 
across the board was that people really care for cats. People really want to do what's best for the cats. And the reason that their go-to is see a cat outside, take it to the shelter is because they're afraid that something bad is going to happen to the cat if it remains outdoors. That underlying sense of humanity, of of love and care for a sentient being and for 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 the cats like kind of like tugged at my heartstrings when I would see the results which then brings us to the point that education and combating those misconceptions is really the key to helping those cats were there things that came back that just surprised the heck out of you honestly I uh I wasn't, I, I, I mean, I, I think I come, to, my approach to whenever we go into research is, um, and get the findings is blank canvas. I, I try to eliminate any biases, any preconceived notions that I may have so that I can properly absorb the data and channel it accordingly. I do know that, you know, some people that I've shared this study with, a couple of responses that I've gotten have been like, well, but we've been talking about this for years. How can, you know, 70% of people still be unaware? That's part of the reason why we did this study, right? Because we may have been communicating on this topic in a way that people, they don't, it's too high level for folks. (laughs) Um, People might shut themselves off to it they might not get it. So in that sense, I kind of wasn't in that realm, but I do know that um, for some folks that was like a a pain point. I will say there's a little bit of a surprise. I'll include myself in this one. I thought the wildlife conservation aspect of interconnection of community cats and wildlife was going to be a higher stress point, a higher point of negative energy within respondents. And it really, it it really was not. I mean, there's something there. People do acknowledge that cats can be harmful to wildlife. But it's really interesting that above and beyond one of the biggest concerns for cats living in communities, it's the cat's own safety. It's, It's all about the cats. Looking back, that probably was the point that I was I was most surprised with. I thought there was going to be a little bit more tension between the the coexistence of cats and wildlife, and not so much of a heavy skewing towards people's interest in making sure cats the cats are okay. Now, if you read just about any article on cats and wildlife uh, these days for the last whatever twenty years, and major publications, New York Times, L.A. Times. National Geographic, wherever, you know, I think the media has, I don't know, maybe been duped, certainly supported a narrative that cats are, you know, fuzzy murder machines. Uh, And, you know, I think there's this underlying assumption that cats are lesser than, shouldn't be there. So let's get rid of them, which of course we know what that means. Uh, We can read between the lines. So that is so interesting that overall people just are not buying into the cats are evil narrative. Yeah, I, and and I think oh, I think people understand that it's not a win lose situation. It's, I think that's where the explanation of TNVR becomes 
the win-win of the of these two groups of these two communities where TNVR reduces populations over time hence wildlife then has a greater opportunity to to flourish so i think people really understood the the concept of the the benefit of the reduction of population over time through targeted TNVR because that's how you can properly control and reduce cat populations. Anything else is just, you know, spinning our wheels over and over and over again. You tested several terms and, you know, one you tested, the feedback uh, really jumped out at me was the reaction to the word colony, cat colony, colony. So colony brought up um, notions of a sci-fi film where cats come out of a spacecraft in the thousands with laser beams shooting at people. So it took respondents to sci-fi. It took respondents to massive hordes of cats coming at them. And then there was the the mention of the historical, uh, like the usage of a language that has been historically used in the context of you know, cultures and civilization, colonizing of of people and countries with very negative, you know, influence and, and impact. So kind of like, why would we use that term that is so charged and so tied to, you know, bad historical <laughs> context for cats? <laughs> like, like, remind me, people, everyday people did not get the term, did not associate it with cats, and it just left a really bad taste in their mouths, both culturally and because it took them to, like, overpopulation, like something that's out of control. What other terms did you ask the participants about? We tested free roaming, we tested trap, we tested catch. We tested return to field, street cats, feral cats, friendly ferals. We tested all sorts of terms and lexicons, and like we'll we'll continue to learn. One project that we we're kicking off this week and should have results by early next calendar year is this same messaging and language recommendation, but for politicians, for state legislators, for city council members, are they influenced by the same terminology? Or are they better influenced by other phrases or other messaging? Um, What's the elevator pitch that we should use with them? Because this study was very specific to B2C, right? And, and, And not only B2C, but B2C not involved in animal welfare. You know, in this work, there are so many different stakeholders, right? Uh, And they all have different attachments to things, their own backgrounds and knowledge, what they want to know, what they need to know, you know, phrases that they'll respond to better. Politicians, for example, likely to care about, I don't know, money and perception. (laughs) Yeah, I said it. So I'm glad to hear you're going to be diving deeper into some of those more specific audiences, because that I think is so important as we continue to sort out the best ways to advocate for cats. You know, what should I be saying? Uh, and I imagine there are folks listening to this right now who are wondering what this means because they just sent a PDF to the print shop for 500 copies of a flyer and they use the word feral. Uh, so now they're wondering, can I use feral 
Uh, and it is important to point out that this research, it doesn't support absolutes. Because that's the thing. And, and, and we're not saying don't use feral, right? There will be times where feral is appropriate, right? It, it's like that campaign we did, all dogs are individuals, all cats are individuals too. <laughs> and all cats that you see, uh, you know, in your community or that, you know, you, you humanely trapped through a, a TNVR, you know, outing, like they shouldn't all be called ferals. They're community cats. Some might be friendly, some might be shy, some might be skittish, some might be, you know, might fall somewhere in the middle. And that I think was the impetus for the term community cat, right? I mean, how best to try to encapsulate all of those individual varieties of cats, if you will, uh, you know, encapsulate them all into one group. Exactly. Community cat is like the most, I, I think of it as like an inclusive initiative for cats. It's like using the same approach that, that we use for other things like pronouns and is it Latinx or Latine or Hispanic? Well, it's community cats. That's the most inclusive term we can do to be as respectful and as mindful to the fact that cats are individuals. The team behind this program, Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, and Mark Peralta. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.